0: Hello everyone and welcome back to my channel and or podcast wherever you are watching or listening from. A few weeks ago I had the immense pleasure of speaking with Ekaterina Shelahova, who many people know from how she went completely viral on Italy's Got Talent singing her original piece called Earth Melodies where she incorporates all of her Classical background technique as an opera singer, along with all these new, very extended kind of techniques she used and it just is an absolute exquisite singer and makes the most interesting music. And we had a wonderful conversation about, you know, her whole life before she blew up, what it's like now having, you know, a million followers on Instagram and going on a tour with the sensational kind of cinematic amazing group called ERA and being a vocalist for that group, um, and everything else that comes around with it. Her weekly schedule, you know, a day in the life of Ekaterina Shelahova we get into all of it. She's an absolute gem. She's so sweet and humble, and extremely, extremely talented as a singer and artist. It was a joy to speak with her, and I know you guys are going to love this conversation, so please welcome Ekaterina Shelahova um, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining, whether you are watching or listening. I'm here with Ekaterina Shalahova, and we are going to get into everything about her life and career and approach to voice and all that. But first, I'm going to pass the baton to her and let her give you a little elevator pitch as to who she is and what she is up to these days.
1: Oh, my goodness. So my, hi, I'm Ekaterina Shelahova uh i've been singing all my life since i was three years old i i graduated from the conservatory of milan with a bachelor's and master's in opera and that was about three years ago and since then i've decided to kind of move into my own Uh, direction and I've started writing my own music doing lots of different covers and pretty much just exploring my own genre which is a mix which I now have kind of a word for I call it new age folk crossover so that's kind of the mixture of the three genres that I kind of like to incorporate together to create um, atmospheric sounds and also kind of more um intense uh, music so at the moment I am writing an album and there's a lot of songs on the way and but I but I like to stick to my roots and I also still perform an opera I'm actually doing a, an operatic um concert in a, in a in a month from now so I'm still kind of clinging on to that and I'm trying to balance those two things together so
0: that's amazing my story Thank so you. far, and short and sweet wonderful not giving away your whole life story just yet we'll get (laughs) I'm an
1: open book though so you know
0: awesome well that I mean that my my first question was you know what your formal training is so um so you went to the conservatory in Milan and and studied opera there so what did you do what led up to that kind of what got you into the operatic singing and then actually what was it like to to study in Milan Um, Actually, I've met singers from all over the world, obviously, and I haven't met someone who's come out of that program yet.
1: Oh, well, Um, I started singing when I was very young. I started to kind of meddle in opera when I was about 12 years old. So I I believe I was a little bit too young uh, to start. But luckily, I had very good guidance, so I didn't ruin my voice. I, I know a lot of people who have started young, and unfortunately, it does create some problems Um. But I was very, very lucky in that sense. So I started very young. And I, at the same time, I played piano since I was six years old. So I I did my pedagogy and performance diploma when I was 18. So I was at the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto. So I graduated from that program. And then I moved on to Milan and I studied there for five years in total. And it was a very interesting program. There were a lot of things that I took from that it um i think the greatest thing about studying in italy especially opera is because that's where it was born so learning the language and learning the culture and where most of those things were written it really changes your minds mindset on a lot of them so it really helped me in that sense i was very lucky to have very very great guidance throughout all the five years that i was there not only from my musical like uh, vocal teachers but also my harmony teachers and my history teachers um everybody was i was just very very lucky and yeah it was a good experience and i wouldn't change it i liked it so but i think it's different everywhere but at the same time the same so
0: yeah and how did you choose milan as the place to go did you apply to places all over or were you like Alon's the one like that's the number one choice going into it or how did how did that all work that decision process
1: well, you know believe it or not I was kind of hesitant about moving to Europe because I was only 17 when I graduated uh, from high school and then I had the choice to either apply to uh, North American in institutes or go overseas so I, I actually applied to Eastman Juilliard and UFT and I was accepted in all three um, and so I wanted to, um, at the end, go to Eastman. So that was kind of my school of choice. I had f- a few friends that went there and had told me very good things about it. So that was kind of the school that I was kind of eyeing. Um, but my father, who is kind of my biggest supporter and my biggest fan, and you know, he he really takes my career very seriously, he researched a lot of stuff and he helped me... Helped convince me that it would actually be a better choice to go overseas, because it would help with the language and the culture and kind of absorb all those things um, that opera is really about right, so it was a very kind of. um, Last minute decision I applied to the conservatory there were about 50 um, applicants um international applicants and they only had three spots for the year that I was auditioning for because it depended on the year and how many people graduated the year before and so I thought no way (laughs) no way (laughs) and I I stayed there for two months I studied a little bit at this Italian school I auditioned for the program thought you know it is what it is if if I don't get in then I'll just come back and I'll go to Eastman but I got in. So that was that was that. And then I just stayed. And um, that's how my (laughs) journey began.
0: Amazing. So you you did not know Italian before going over there?
1: I did study (laughs) it in school. So I I did a a course in school. And then I studied with a private teacher for a year after because I took a leap year um, after high school. So I kind of took that year to study um but it wasn't really to go anywhere it was mostly just because of operatic repertoire and you know being much more aware of what you're singing and
0: yeah that. helpful yeah <laughs> very <laughs> yeah how many operas does that program put on a year and did you get to perform any roles as an undergrad or do they kind of give most of the roles to the masters and other graduate students
1: so when I was there I can't say about now um but they did roughly one or two a year so unfortunately not that many yeah. we did have a lot of uh, concerts and things like that um but not many productions so I in my first years I was kind of in the choir so we did Noce the Figaro we did what, what else did we do I think that's it i think we did not de the we also did carmina Burana another year so i was in the choir for that where i pretended to be a mezzo but that's another story <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um and and then uh my last year in my master's program i i was actually zerlina in the production of uh, don giovanni so i got to do one of my favorite roles uh, i also did a concert kind of version for my exam i did candide so that was super fun playing cunegonde that was a crazy amount of fun also because i could kind of flaunt my english around (laughs) (laughs) so it was it was fun and yeah but they they do um at least one a year and uh yeah i was i was lucky to be in some Mm -hmm. of them
0: how many people were in the program because one one opera a year is like pretty pretty slim unless they're doing like a triple cast for for each show.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we usually did double casting, and the program. I believe it was around a hundred people.
0: Hundred singers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so not that much, you know. I was definitely expecting more. I'm not here, you know, to to trash talk my my conservatory <laughs> because I'm you know I'm proud of where I went, um. But yeah, it was you, you know it was scarce the the performance time that we got uh with the with the theater but it, it is what it is you know
0: great okay so conservatory milan and then you go on to wh- when did you go on what was it italia's got talent and then oh, everything kind of i assume like shifted. really catapulted and shifted uh, so before that i assume you were looking at a very traditional opera career right where you do the undergrad masters and you do the young artist programs, then you maybe do a fest contract and then start guesting. I don't know. What was, what was your plan before? I'm really interested to hear that. And then how did basically going crazy viral on that show shift those plans?
1: So I've always been a little bit of a black sheep in the opera community so i never really and this is so cliche you know i never fit in and but but it's true i i never really felt like um i was really in my space in the sense that i love opera and i i love the aspect of um acting out a character right that was always a passion of mine to to act out a character I, I did a lot of musical theater when i was in canada so i started out with musical theater i went into opera so it was always a big passion But I've always liked to improvise with different genres. And this was something that wasn't very, um, I mean, it was, I I wouldn't say it was looked down upon, but it was um, approached with skepticism a lot of the time when I would do that. And also a lot of the time I would like to do my own different kind of runs for, um, for arias and art songs. And unfortunately, that was not allowed a lot of the time, so I would get reprimanded for that and but i've always been you know passionate about uh, creating my own things and improvising and i actually had a fantastic teacher in the conservatory who i think lit up that passion at one point because he did these um uh kind of little mini concert series where people would bring in poetry that they liked and me uh, and a couple other musicians would read the poetry read it out and then create a melody to it just like that and so it was like a little concert mm. of improvisation and it was so much fun and I and I realized how much I liked creating new things and and kind of using my voice to to create different kind of I don't know my, my own stuff but it wasn't until Italy's Got Talent because that happened during the pandemic so I'm sure you, you suffered like any artist um, with cancellations of performances. Mm-hmm. And right, we, we were all in the same boat. Yeah. And for me, personally, I had just graduated six months prior. So I, I didn't really have a chance to do anything pretty much. Um I was very lucky to be in the icing program in China, about six months uh, before the pandemic. And that was life changing. But that was pretty much all I had really done professionally in the operatic kind of sphere sphere because I've been performing since I was three um so when the pandemic hit I started to really kind of dive into um, my own genres because now I didn't have anyone stopping me and I didn't have my uh, opera teachers looking at me and saying what is this (laughs) don't do this Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and then I applied for Italy's Got Talent I thought what the hell why not um we'll see I mean they're probably gonna say this is go home <laughs> <laughs> but they liked it so i ended up performing it of course as, as you probably know the tv the tv shows are recorded a long time before they're actually released to the public so by the time it was released i had forgotten what i had done there because it was it was half an improvisation like i had a structure but at the, at the mm. same time it was half improvised so i had no idea what to expect i genuinely did not expect such a positive reaction i thought it was just it was going to be kind of like in the middle and then yeah then my phone just started vibrating after the show (laughs) ended
0: (laughs) so it's so cool i actually i was listening to some of your stuff the other day um obviously earth melodies is one of the first ones that i was checking out and it's it's really cool to hear you going from such radically different vocal techniques in that and like how did you uh what was your method for experimenting with those while you were training as an opera singer like singing with like the the throat singing and the more gritty sounds and the sounds that are like less traditional and certainly not heard in the opera world ever cuz like you're talking about opera is all about just pure efficiency of sound purity of tone like that's it because you have to do it for 3 hours over an orchestra with a microphone how you kind of integrated the different styles of singing while you were training as an opera singer. So how you started working on these throat techniques, for example, while you're pursuing this like hyper efficient, you know, very powerful operatic technique. Yeah.
1: So I actually started with folk music when I was very young. So I sang old kind of style Russian Slavic folk music, which comes right deep from the chest and the vibrations are very low and i've always incorporated them into um music and of course it's frowned upon completely especially in my repertoire because i'm uh, a coloratura soprano soprano. so if i go into my chest voice i'm eliminated from everywhere and like nobody will even listen to my next (laughs) note if i do that so maybe that's why i liked doing it so much was because it was so rebellious of me you know so I've always liked to train um everything and um for me when I was when I was studying in the conservatory like I said before my my first teacher had told me if you have the proper technique you can sing anything and I completely stand by that uh statement because for me As soon as i knew the proper technique and i knew the breathing and i knew um where the sound was coming from and how to properly uh create it then it was a piece of i wouldn't say it was a piece of cake but it was definitely much more it was easier to then incorporate all the other types of sounds and create kind of the mashups without hurting myself without doing anything kind of bad to myself
0: i guess so you could go that's amazing so you could go from one to the other in like the same practice session and not have it affect you. I mean, in the performance, you do that, right? You have this introduction that's the, much, yeah. the deeper throat style singing, And then you go into, you know, beautiful, totally efficient, like super high head voice singing. And there's there's no grit whatsoever.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, that definite I, I, I can't really stand by that and say that that is completely healthy or um something that we should be always doing um i think that i had just figured out a way that was very comfortable for me so when i did the throat sounds it was really coming from a very low kind of chesty place where the slavic singing kind of rests as well so it's not like a ha, which is kind of the the normal musical theater kind of poppy sound Mm -hmm. whereas the the low uh, sounds come a little bit more of a vibration here. So it's, ha, ha. and so when you, when you go down even lower, then that's where the growls and the throat, the throat set singing goes into. So as, as long as you're aware of where it is, um, definitely shouldn't really affect it. But at the same time, there have been times where I've maybe gotten a little bit too intense or I've, you know, gotten a little bit too much into it. And, and, you know, there, there have been times that it wasn't, um, the best uh, performance because of that but um yeah you know you just have to know your body and what you're doing and
0: yeah kind of know your thresholds for Mm -hmm. for that kind of thing very cool okay so operating conservatory then you go on this this uh talent show essentially everything blows up you're going viral Did you, I mean, do you feel at that point like you're on a rocket ship and you need to like do something like follow up to kind of keep that wave going or like start writing this album or how did things in your career kind of go? How did you ride that wave from being on Italy's Got Talent to the point you are now?
1: Well, I believe the first year, so it's been two years since the show premiered. Um, It was March of 2021 when uh, the the video became public, and the first year was definitely very intense emotionally and mentally because I felt like I had something to prove now, and so I was trying to do as much as possible and create as much as I could and sometimes it wasn't coming maybe from the most genuine place because I was trying to kind of push these things out and since then I have found a balance and now I focus on genuine things that come deeply from me and maybe I don't um, necessarily go in the I, I don't know the rhythm that I was going at in the beginning because i was so stressed and you know panicked about it but now i just take my time and i i do things um at my own pace but yeah the first i guess even like the first six seven months were definitely very stressful because it was anticipated i had no idea even how to deal with uh with everything that was happening and yeah it was i wouldn't say difficult but it was definitely. Yeah different very different
0: did you go from I mean were you on social media before that or were you pretty much off-grid and then all of a sudden you're like in the limelight because I could definitely see how that would be uh pretty stressful
1: well I I've always understood that in our time social media is a very important tool so I have I was present on social media definitely before that but I had I believe around a thousand maybe followers during the time right before uh, Italia's Got Talent so you know I was creating my own content and I was already doing lots of covers and things like that because it was always something that I liked to do so it wasn't like um, after the show I changed who I was or I started doing something different because that's what people expected me to do it was more like you know I did more of it because I knew that it was exciting and I liked it but I've, I've always kind of Meddled in the social media sphere. I've always struggled a lot with it because it it has always exhausted me. So, anytime, even I've had fans kind of reach out and say, "Hey, where are you at? Where you? Why aren't you posting for two days?" Because sometimes I'll be like hyper active for a few days, but then I get so mentally drained from it that I have to take a few days off. Um, so it's definitely it's still a learning curve. But I was always I was kind of always on social media yeah
0: yeah. that was kind of my next question is how you approach creating content it's something I am YouTube really works for me because I it's just like it's a more kind of linear path on YouTube there's not nearly as much pressure to post like five reels a day or there's more demand for a ton of content on Instagram and TikTok for example um my Instagram kind of blew up because of the stairwell covers. I don't know. That's probably yeah. when you when you saw me, whenever yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. a year and a half ago. And if I were good at Instagram and if I, like you're talking about, if it wasn't so mentally draining for me to try to be trendy and keep up with everything, like the following would probably be a lot bigger. But I just, I struggled to do that while I'm like making this very legit career in opera happen. And so mm-hmm. YouTube for me is kind of like the nice, like, it's kind of like the opera career it's a much more like a long-term kind of yeah. slow burn kind of thing so how do you approach your content how do you choose what videos to make and what's your what's kind of your process for making just like a a standard instagram reel like picking the song and then i don't know, like choosing what style to sing it in or how do you go about all that
1: you know um most of the content that i post is just stuff that i like you know i've i've always been very adamant about staying very true to what i want to do and trying not to follow trends and y- y- you know i've 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 talked to a few media consultants and one of them is actually one of my closest friends and she's she meddles in media and she does all these kinds of things and she even created a kind of a list for me of you know today you're gonna do this to the next day you're gonna do this and mm. Hey, today you're going to post a story and tomorrow you're going to post a real and maybe and I think in a way that's fantastic um, for engagement and for for things like that but when it becomes a little bit unauthentic for me it loses the reason for why I do it because I don't do it for the follower count or for the likes or anything I do it because I was inspired I, I listened to a song and I really liked it and I wanted to just record a cover and I wanted to share that passion for that song with the world so for me, it, it's always it really comes in random. I know that sometimes I'm like, okay, I haven't posted anything in a while, so maybe I should, you know, do something. But it always just comes from, okay, what song do I like, and what's something that I've been listening to recently? For example, when I was um, something that just blew up like a like a month ago was the the Lord of the Rings, um, the Rings of Power, the tiny little thing, the uh, vocalise that I did on Instagram, and that just came because I was watching the show and I really liked that song. I thought Bear McCreary did such a fantastic job on the um, on the soundtrack. So yeah, but um, for, for video making and things like that, because this is something that I've gotten a lot and I think, I'm sure you've gotten the same questions, um, but for recording, I, a lot of people say that I record the audio and then I lip sync to it, which is not, True, because <laughs> I record everything in one take because I try to make it as authentic as possible. Like I just sat down, I sang it. Here you go. If it's not the best, it's not the best. It is what it is. This is what I can do. That's it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Um. So everything is recorded in, in, in one take and uh, just the video and the audio. I, I use my little baby right here. Let's see it. My little baby. Cute. And you can probably see in some of the videos, I'm holding it kind of down here. Mm-hmm. Because when I prop it up somewhere, you can see it, and then it just kind of dangles on my face, and I'm like, I don't like that,
0: so <laughs> I kind of hide it. And so
1: people sometimes accuse me that like you're lip singing, and I'm like, it's right here, it's in mm. my hand. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's that's a
0: lot. Problem. So it's all live one take, but you've you've ascended beyond just recording on the iPhone or whatever. You at least have a microphone. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, and I, I you probably feel this way too. It sounds like I I know people they've and they have they have very polished like these wonderful TikTok videos and Instagram reels that are you know put in a a digital audio workstation edited you know compressed tuned everything and then they lip sync to it and to just make a reel it takes hours hours and hours and hours and I'm like for my stairwell videos it wasn't it was it was just just the iPhone. I just hop on the stairwell but yeah, the and look, I mean, shoot it,
1: it authenticity just yeah. came through and people loved that and i, and I loved it too so
0: <laughs> well thank you i uh i've been meaning to to try to find some spaces where i can do more of that because i did like doing that and i was always happy like i wouldn't post something i wasn't happy with just because it would get some likes or something it was like i'm like oh i really like how this sounds um this acoustic environment or whatever so i i I would like to get back to doing that at some point i think i i think i will
1: you should you should (laughs) i I really like that and it brought me back to when i was in high school we would always uh the nerdy kids you know we would we would hide in the stairwell at uh during break and we would just sing and harmonize in the
0: stairwell
1: (laughs) (laughs) the cool kids you know
0: yeah, so. absolutely. Um, what are some, so you have like a, a major following on Instagram. It seems like that's where the most people have have found your work. Um, What are some pros and cons for you in having a really big Instagram following? Because it's different for each medium. Like if you have a huge following on YouTube, if you just don't really deal with the comment section, then you're just there's just not much to do there, right? But Instagram can be a lot more interactive, especially with DMs and and stuff like that. Things are kind of more in your face. Mm-hmm. So like, what are what are some pros and cons for you? What are some really cool things, maybe collaborations or ideas that have come from a big Instagram following? Or what are some, you know, maybe more of like the darker side of having nearly a million followers, which is wild.
1: It's wild. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Um, practically overnight too. So I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know, but, um, I, you know, I, I've, I've never really thought about the negatives because there's not many that I have noticed to be, um, you know, Oh, gosh, sorry. My my brain just shut down for a second. You know, <laughs> when went out, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of power went out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, but for, for the most part, it's always been very positive. And the people that have kind of reached out and have followed me, I believe, have done so because they experienced something with the music that I create, that I feel as well. And so I've for example, I I rarely ever get people that write inappropriate things. You know what mm. I mean? Like I think I could count on my two hands how many times I've had that happen to me in the last two years. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's
0: I've, that's honestly shocking.
1: Yeah, there, I, there's so
0: I, many there's so many weird aggressive people on social yeah. media.
1: Yeah, that's why you know I, um, but I, but I think it's also because I curate my content a little bit to, um. To make sure it only focuses on the music and um i try to stay away from um you know different types of topics or my personal life i try to kind of make sure so i guess maybe that would be kind of um kind of a positive but kind of a negative at the same time because now i can't really share a lot of stuff that i used to share Mm -hmm. and when i do share it i share it with the private friends you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah so that's you know that's where my real kind of life, uh, just weird stuff around the house. That's where I post. But I definitely feel like I've had to, I guess, curate a little bit more about you know and be careful with what I post and what I say and you know because unfortunately nowadays people are canceled for the for the smallest thing. So I always have to be just very careful and, and, and wise about what I say, what I do. And that's definitely, I guess, a, a negative aspect of it. But like I said, going back to the positive is that whatever I've done, whatever I've posted, whatever I've said has always um, been um, accepted. And the people that write to me are the kindest, most warm people that I've, I, I could ever hope for. And like I said, creepy kind of weird messages Maybe like once or twice. So it's
0: that's cool. That's twice. that's really that's great to hear. Um, I've spoken with a number of creators that have had a very different experience. I mean, me too. Even yeah, I get yeah. even I get a number of weird messages. <laughs> <laughs> i mean
1: and maybe the thing is is that i'm really weird so whenever i get weird messages i'm much more entertained by them than anything you know i'm not really heated out I'm just kind of like oh that's funny and, okay. <laughs> and fair just, enough yeah so maybe that's just me
0: <laughs> do you get any scathing hate comments from people who are just jealous or or whatever because everyone everyone's got some major haters if you have any kind of following There will be a few people that just, yeah, Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, Also, I, I just a few that I could think of at the top of my head. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten a few kind of, let's say politically, um, centered ones in the last couple of years. We know why we're not going to hint at why we We know
0: why. Yeah, we don't have to dive in there.
1: Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, just a few things like that. Just, um, but you know, I was—I knew that was going to happen. I—I I, I kind of approached it really calmly. Um, yeah, I, I think one one comment that stood out to me, which was about a year ago, when someone wrote this kind of mean comment about how, oh well, you know, I posted a photo of me in Milan and I was in the studio, and someone wrote, oh well, you know, her daddy paid someone off to um you know get her there and you know it's just because she has super rich parents and everything and for some reason that really really bothered me just because um we started from zero you know so my my family moved to canada when i was six years old and we had nothing you know my parents built everything by themselves with their own two hands and or four hands (laughs) Mm Right, I'm good at
0: <laughs> You don't have one-armed parents, just confirming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God, uh, canceled.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't talk about that.
1: Um, so you know, um, everything that, um, my parents have built, they have built, um, with the hard work and and everything that I have done myself has also been just hard work and, um, just pushing through. And so that really kind of bothered me. So, uh, but I mean, in general, uh, not that many. So thankfully, thankfully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. And do you, I mean, do you spend much time reading comments and respond, responding to people? Or are you more of like a post only? Like I, I definitely lean more towards post only. I do, resp- I do make sure to read some and respond just for like, Cause the, you know, the fans deserve it and they, and it's really good to, to be engaging with the people who are supporting you. But there's definitely like a, there has to be a line in the sand somewhere. Cause I know people who just go mad reading all the comments and then getting super upset with anything that's negative. Right. So how, what's your approach to, cause you, I mean, you get tons of comments on your stuff all the time. So what's your approach there?
1: Well, um, I try to read as many as I can. I try to respond to as many as I can. Um sometimes a comment will, you know, reach me very deep and I will respond. I might even, you know, message them privately to respond to some question that they might ha- might have had. Um it is definitely difficult, especially when you have so many other things to do. But yeah, i try to i try to stay on top of that i try to read them um and the good thing is that i i have all the comments kind of appear on my phone so i will kind of like read through them on my phone like not even going into the app but just like on the, on the screen and i'll just kind of read through them all and be like oh that's right you know and i'll click some of them and respond um but for private messages especially when i get dms um I mostly try to respond to as many as I can just because for me it's it's been two years since I've been kind of more visible on the on the webs <laughs> and it still boggles my like it, it it doesn't click with me and I don't think it ever will that someone took the time of day to write to someone else who they don't know and to write nice things and to write things that they felt when they listened to your music and the fact that someone took the time of day to do that. And I want to also take the time of day to respond and say, thank you for taking that time to, to say these nice things, because I don't know. I mean, crazy, crazy it, it boggles my mind.
0: So it is, you know, yeah, try, it, try, no, it, it really is. It really is an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, this is great to hear. I mean, it sounds like you have a, a healthy relationship with social media, which can be so damaging to people, especially um, if you go from somewhere, you know, you have a thousand followers and then the next week you have a hundred thousand followers and it's really easy to get sucked into that. Yeah. Um, and to kind of put your value in the numbers and and take the hate, the hate comments really harshly and personally and kind of blow off all the amazing positivity that's coming in. So I commend you for that. It seems like you've, you've got to really... Healthy balance there, uh, which is. I awesome. try my
1: best. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the hate, you know, we we all get it, and I think the the most important thing to remember is that everyone is going to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Everyone, and at the end of the day, you have to take into consideration whose opinions you value the most. Right? These people that don't know you, they don't know where you come from, they have no idea who you are, and they're just assuming and judging mm-hmm. from one little thing that you posted or people around you who who love you and who are are um, uh, happy with what you're doing and yourself as well you know if you're happy with what you're doing I think that's the most important thing and yeah cares.
0: <clears throat> piggybacking off that we had this with this wonderful like industry chat with two of the faculty members here two sisters Nino and Tamara Santa kids they're Georgian and um they were talking about having like your own boardroom of people, like your own boardroom for your brand and your artistry, especially when you get to the point where you have a lot of people falling, like in this context, she's talking about people who get it really big in the opera world, like opera stars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, scathing reviews and there's going to be people telling you, oh, you're not a mezzo, you're a, a this or a that. And you just have to have your own, they called it boardroom of like trusted people, friends, mm-hmm. family, vocal coaches, voice teachers, conductors. That you trust, and then the rest is just noise.
1: Yeah, exactly. and I really,
0: I really like that analogy. I used. agree
1: with that. That's a good analogy. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, more on the opera. So, how? Because you said you're very much still interested in doing some amount of more traditional opera performance. Uh, I think you have a Carmina coming up. I think I saw that on your website. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: December. Carmina yeah. Burana.
0: Awesome. Super cool piece. Um, so, what is your training like i mean are you still daily training for the operatic career how do you how do you kind of balance that with all these other things you want to do
1: yes so my opera training is daily definitely um but you know i've uh because I train every single day. Well, I try to um, we'll all be liars if we say every single day. Nobody trains mm-hmm. every single day.
0: Don't lie <laughs> yourself. It's oh, also no. good to take days off.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hel- yeah, it's
0: healthy. Yeah,
1: it's healthy. Yeah. Um, but because I train the voice every day with with operatic repertoire, I think that's the best training that I could do for my voice. And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: since I train it every day with the proper technique and with the proper breathing, all my other other oh my gosh all my other repertoire just kind of clicks into into place uh just like this so even before my my shows where i do my own repertoire i always warm up with more operatic style warm-ups and things like that because that's the way my voice uh wakes up and, and works the best so yeah it's 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 not been a big issue kind of um, mixing the two or balancing the two um, I think the the biggest difficulty for me was balancing like repertoires so going from an operatic performance one day and then singing completely in a different uh, technique and different manner and style the next day is challenging not only physically but mentally um, but it's also been just fun to be able to do that like for example I did three shows back to back why am I saying three? Two, two shows back to back. I did um, one musical theater show, which was um, kind of belty and very, very modern kind of style singing. And then the next day, I had to do Rossini, Mozart, and just a whole two hour program of arias. So that was very challenging. But, you know, like I said, if you know your body and you know your technique, you can do it. I mean, it's- not going to be you know, a
0: those are radically different heart, but I, yeah I talk yeah. a lot about the differences between musical theater and operatic singing um in my analysis videos mm-hmm. um and a different it differs for voice type right so like you know I'm a bass so I'm singing always in chest voice in opera just like stretching that chest voice up like everything and then you are the total opposite side of the spectrum in opera where you're trying to pretty much avoid that entirely but uh, the musical theater is going to be like very chest dominant singing like stretching that chest voice up for those high belts
1: mm-hmm. so
0: that i mean in your case specifically going from the rep you'd sing in musical theater versus the rep you're going to be singing as an opera singer that is like very different like entirely different styles of yeah. singing yeah yeah very cool
1: yeah even though I, I do uh, when I do musical theater, I try because my belt is actually quite low so my break is at a B flat. Mm. Um, so it's you, you know i'm I'm kind of an almost an alto when I sing in my chest voice. I don't get very high. I get very low so I can I can sing quite low in my in my chest voice. Um, but so I like to mix so I, I I mix those belts with my head voice so it's not too uh, forceful and it doesn't kind of come out too uh too belty so i kind of incorporate my own style i guess even in the musical theater
0: yeah yeah it can be it can even with good technique if you're stretching your chest voice up really high it just is taxing yeah it's it's why people say like a tenor only has so many high c's like that's actually kind of true yeah you know if you because that's that is an extreme part of the of the of the chest range even for a high tenor yeah um so yeah definitely that's that's smart do you feel like how does that affect the power because obviously you get more power if you keep extending the chest voice up it gets more and more like yelly mm-hmm. um so how does that affect I guess if you're if you're microphone in musical theater it's probably okay but how does it how does it affect the timbre and the power when you go from that mix or when you go from that full chest singing to that mix kind of singing
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, so of course um, the sound becomes a little bit different than what you would hear you know in a in a true belt, but that's why I kind of try to avoid very belty songs in general just because I, I know that I could sing them in that mix, but it just wouldn't sound the same. So I focus a lot on kind of old old style repertoire like the sound of music, my fair lady um, I mean the, the 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 newest I'll go is like le miserable um mm. things like that um and so when i do sing the kind of belty ones they do sound a little different and it's up to the audience to, to say if they liked it or not i think it sounds good in its own way but definitely it does change the the color and the uh the power of it for sure, cool.
0: for sure. i appreciate you nerding out with me about vocal stuff <laughs> um <laughs> are we not I,
1: singers Is that's not what we do <laughs> that's exactly
0: what we do Here's another, here's another question if you let's say you're doing a song that has some belting above that b, above the high b flat um do you start mixing before you get there so there's like a smoother blend or are you do you kind of carry the chest voice up as high as you can comfortably and then switch
1: mm. i actually start mixing around the f so okay that's kind of- where i start to get a little bit airy and i and i try to keep it very high in position so right from the f then i know that when i do get to that b flat then it's already kind of half mixed and so when there's that passage you i mean the the break between the two the chest and the head you can't really hear it at all um otherwise if i do push um till that b flat and then i go into the mix then you can really hear the difference and then people are like oh what just happened there right
0: Mm -hmm. so Mm
1: -hmm. And it's kind of like an illusion. You're kind of
0: just about to say, yeah, yeah. I was just about to say illusion, yeah.
1: yeah, you're tricking the audience into thinking that that's what your voice sounds like in your chest voice when you're singing through those kind of passage yeah. notes f g a. And then when you get to those belty notes, people just think that you're still in your chest voice because that's what your sound your your sound was yeah. like in the lower register,
0: especially so. if the intention's there because mm-hmm. you can yeah. everything with your body and face, you can make it look like you're building up to this gargantuan yeah, like, belt <laughs> and it's like
1: oh, I'm <laughs> just mixing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All in the struggle. You got to look like you're struggling with that. And I'm like, ah. isn't
0: that the <laughs> funniest thing about singing? Like, it, if you're singing well, it should be so easy. But yeah, you get like the like the rock face, as if it's like, you know, yeah, like it's taking still... taking everything out of your body. When it's it's more the body is working, and this is all this all has to be completely free. Yeah.
1: yeah awesome. Definitely
0: um so so traditional opera um do you have goals to perform like I know you've got the Carmina coming up, but do you do you have goals to perform like full roles in opera houses like do you have a dream like all of us to you know perform at La Scala as like a main stage singer someday since you went to school in Milan?
1: yeah, well, I mean it's always definitely been my been my dream to perform at La Scala um so I, I i already do perform a lot of uh kind of solo roles i i just did gilda a few months ago and i did adina from de amore so oh. I, where, where did yeah. you
0: where were you singing
1: i was singing uh rigoletto i was singing in a city called uh oh my god i should have known this i should have prepped i did not prep. <laughs> my goodness it's a city in italy but i, I will i'll write it down maybe you can
0: get okay and put in the bio
1: Um, yeah it's it's in um lombardia so it's kind of near milan and and then i did um adina in monza which is also super close to milan and there's a, a communal big theater there and yeah so i i still do kind of um solo roles not as much as before before i did a lot of ensemble and did a lot of small roles and um but, um, yeah, I mean, my dream is definitely to perform at La Scala, but my dream is to perform, like, my own kind of repertoire at La Scala, which is Whoa. impossible. It will never happen. <laughs> but it's a dream, right? You that's can a, dream.
0: That's a good moonshot <laughs> Moonshot goal to have.
1: I'm sure the uh, the Italians will throw tomatoes at me because they, they are the most, I don't know how it's like in in north america i've only seen a a couple of um operas in north america just because the excuse me can we talk about how expensive the tickets are in north america for opera? (laughs) like come on in in italy i would go to a show like once a week because i would get the tickets for 10 euro and of course you would be in the gallery in the galleria up in the top and Mm -hmm. just standing the whole time but it was worth it because you got to see a show at la scala for 10 euro yeah I was there so often and and the italian public is definitely um not shy to show um their opinions so there have been times where people have been truly like heavily whistled at after mm-hmm. a performance so um yeah that's just the one thing that maybe would uh, deter yeah. me away from <laughs> doing that no, scala, like, scala
0: is notoriously that it is it you're good. I
1: thought it was. I thought it was plugged in, but it wasn't.
0: So. <laughs> Can't have another crash. Nope. <laughs> yeah, Scala is notoriously like the the hardest house in the world for that kind of thing. I know it's a big like <clears throat> for American opera singers who are very very well trained. Like the rest of the world does love American trained opera singers because there's a bunch of amazing training in this country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but definitely. the but the biggest fear for American singers is performing at Scala. Cause like if you're Italian, isn't perfect. Like if you don't sound like a fluent Italian speaker, singer, yeah, you can, you can get wrecked on that stage and booed oh, and whistled yeah. and, and whatever else American houses are not like that. There's definitely a much more polite crowd. It's the funniest thing about, about America and the whole opera scene. Cause it's not like a popular thing here. Like mm. every, every tiny city in Europe has an opera house, like a functional opera house. And like, I think there's like a little over a hundred houses in the U S or something like six to eight. We make major houses. And of course, because it's America, even though it's not popular here, we have the biggest opera houses in the world by far. Like I think, I think Scala Scala is a big house, a really big house for Europe and it's like 20, what? 2,100, 2,200 seats or something Mm -hmm. like that. I think the Met is like 4,400 Houston Grand is like 38, LA Opera's 38, San Francisco's almost 4,000. It's just like crazy. And of course, you know, here, you know, these, ha- these companies struggle to sell out these houses because it's not as popular here, but we have twice as many seats to sell on these major opera houses. It's hilarious. It's just like a little vignette of America being stupid. <laughs> no no offense to my homeland. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> definitely We we've we've had some cancelable moments so far. <laughs> I know.
0: That's okay. That's okay. Um okay, so obviously you want to sing at Scala and probably plenty of other major houses. What are some dream roles for you?
1: Oh, My biggest dream role is Oscar from El Balo de Mascara. Oh I even named my piece. Yeah, I even named my first dog um, in honor of that role. Mm. I love, I love El Balón y Máscara, that's one of my favorite uh, Verdi operas, and um, Oscar was just always um, a character that I have really enjoyed singing, so to be able to perform that role would be super fun. And it's not a challenging role, right? So I mean, I could do it right now, but I've just never had the chance, I've never um, seen any auditions or anything like that for El Balón y Máscara, so maybe one day. I also really like Rosina from El Barbero Sevilla. So even though I'm a soprano, I still wanna, you know, do that one day. And yeah, I, I always really liked uh, comedic uh, characters. So um, Norina from Don Pasquale. Uh, Adina is my absolute favorite to play. So I've I've done Adina, uh, I believe, four times now, and it is my absolute favorite, mm-hmm. um, alongside the Spina from um, Così Fan Tutte so you know all of those comedic uh, characters are are my favorite I'm not a big fan of the damsel in distress ones um, as much as my repertoire is mostly that Mm -hmm. fine it is what it is (laughs) we're gonna deal with it Um, but I've always really liked the kind of more complex evil or at least kind of um, bad kind of sided characters um, such as you know, Despina. If you think about it, you know, she's a little bit of an an imp throughout <laughs> the
0: whole opera. So. Yeah, true. It's so you. You said you're a you called yourself a, a lyric coloratura, a light lyric coloratura.
1: I, I would I would say kind of a, a light coloratura. I, I, definitely with age, I've noticed my voice kind of taking much more shape, um, and I I believe my voice has um, gotten a little bit more volume and a little bit more heft. So I would say. Kind of a an kinda of a regular coloratura. I wouldn't call myself too light anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh um, but yeah, kind of sticking to that cool. that name.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's pivot. So I know you have you've I think recently joined as a singer for Era. Is that yeah. that's that's what it's called. That's how to pronounce yes. it. Okay. Yep. Just checking. And I know you guys are going on a big tour mm. soon. So like how did you get involved with that group? I listened to some of I think I'd actually heard some of their stuff before because I was on YouTube the other day listening to some super cool music, really, like truly amazing. And I see why you are with them. Like, I feel like it just fits right in with what you're already doing on your own, like that kind of epic um, multi-style singing. Very cool. So how did you get involved with them and what's the whole scoop there?
1: So about a year ago. Eric Levy, who is the composer and creator of Era, he was looking for uh, new performers for the tour that was happening in 2022, in the end of 2022, and he had actually found my Earth Melodies performance online. So I I, I thank that performance for so many things that have that have happened since then because it it, it was kind of like the the doorway opened because of that video, and so i'm so so thankful for it because eric saw me because of it and he invited me um to the studio to record a few things to see if i was a good fit and i guess i was and we did the tour in 2022 we did 18 concerts around france uh switzerland and belgium and and you're completely right. I, I do feel like what I do clicks very well with with Era. I, I grew up with Era. So my father is a huge fan of Era and I listened to their music since I was six, seven, eight years old. So you can imagine when I got the email, um, my, my my dad, who was my manager at the time, he was receiving the emails as well. And he called me. He's like, do you, do you see who just who just emailed you, you know, with this like who who? And I could not believe it. And I remember the first time I was talking to him on the phone, my hand was shaking. I was like, "Okay, hold oh. hold the hand still. <laughs> and awesome. you know, and then when I met him, I was so starstruck because he is the most humble, most kind musician individual that I've ever met. So not only what was it um mus- musically satisfying to work with Eric Levy and the rest of the team, but it was also fantastic because everybody on that team, especially Eric Levy, were, phenomenal people and i'm just grateful so grateful so yeah we're doing a new tour in of 24 and i hope i mean i hope i'm sure it's going to be a blast just like last time and yeah the repertoire is like like i said it's like a mix because what he does is he uses gregorian chant and he moves that into a kind of a rock sphere and so it creates this genre of of these two contrasting things that for some reason work really well together and that's what i try to do as well so you know we connected in that way
0: amazing let me know if you guys need a base at some point
1: oh yeah i will i will
0: (laughs) so cool okay so that's really exciting um i'll let you i'll let you plug the tour a little bit at the end as well for anyone who's listening from europe which surely there will be people listening from europe um so aside from doing your own rep at la scala Got this goal way up here. What what other what are some other if you have any some like specific goals you have for your career for your artistry?
1: Well, my biggest goal right now is to be able to perform uh, a tour with my own music. So because I've been writing a lot in the last couple of months, I've been joined by a fantastic composer and writer, Ron Lapata, and uh, Andrea Cazal, which who writes the lyrics because. You would not like to read my lyrics. They are "See the bird <laughs> in the tree, he is singing to me."
0: To he, to
1: he. That's, that's pretty much sounds like I a hit. <laughs> I actually cut that was a plug uh, for my next single. <laughs>
0: oh, okay, yes, bird in the tree. Be looking yeah. for it.
1: <laughs> and um, so we've been writing a lot, and so there's so much to share. And I hope that I mean my biggest dream is to be able to tour. And to sing my own own repertoire and to uh to share that with people because it's it's a part of me every song means a lot to me so yeah my biggest dream is to to do that and for people to like it and for people to uh connect with it
0: amazing um super cool okay writing process for your original song so you said people help you with the poetry or the lyricism but how do you where do you start where do you start when you're writing a new song? Are you noodling around on the piano and you do something you like? Or how does that all work?
1: I definitely noodle around on the piano very often.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I, I will I will use that word from now on. I like that. Excellent. Um, good, good. So it, it does start with the piano because I, I I do start with melody first most of the time Um, because for me it's always been about expressing myself with the melody. I've never been really great with words in general. You can ask anyone in my life, any <laughs> past partner, <laughs> and they're like, she's not good at <laughs> using her words. Um, but uh, I've always been really good with expressing myself with melodies. So that's what I really you know, try to do. And I create the melodies and then I create the idea behind them. I've written some songs, so I've written some lyrics as well. Um, But definitely having a little uh, a a hand with that has been life changing because what I do is I bring a bunch of phrases that are just kind of there somewhere bottled up and I'll say them and then Andrea somehow makes them into something coherent and uh, nice instead of the jibber jabber that comes out of Mm. my mouth so it's nice. And the process I believe is, is different for everyone. For me, like I said, it's always been starting with melody. Some people start with the lyrics and then they add words to it. Um, it always depends on what you're feeling and what, what just feels right in the moment. I feel like Mm -hmm. real music and all of that just comes from something screaming at you that wants to come outside. So yeah, just let it out.
0: Cool. Okay. So then you get the melody, you get the lyrics, then how do you go about instrumentation? especially for this let's say for this uh, album you have you're working Mm -hmm. on what's the kind of idea for instrumentation orchestration some electronic some analog what's your what's your thinking
1: yeah so we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna kind of do a little bit of a hybrid between kind of uh orchestra and some electronic um there are some songs that are a little bit more classical in the sense of I I want it to be just natural instruments I I am trying to stick to organic sounds so as kind of if we do incorporate electronic it's only to add a little bit more of that kind of new age feel to it
0: the synth drone kind of thing of
1: course Mm -hmm. I mean I love that synth drone have you noticed a
0: drone love a drone
1: (laughs) half of my songs are just with a drone that's fine
0: it's so cool (laughs) They just work if you sing a melody over a drone it is automatically cool <laughs> yeah and i mean
1: I, I, for all the stuff that i've done i've i have collaborators who i work with uh, such as flavio cucurullo he helped me with the arrangement for awakening until the sun rises for conjuring storms um, so he's really the mastermind behind it i'm just kind of singing something in the middle of that and uh panos from greece we did savage daughter um together which uh just reached its milestone of a million uh streams on Spotify I saw that back.
0: congratulations yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was I, really cool very cool
1: and um as well as Emmanuel Tedeschi who also arranged a, a song for me so I mean I have so many fantastic fantastic people who I'm working besides uh beside beside beside
0: working beside um,
1: beside
0: working beside, working beside beside yeah yeah or English
1: <laughs> come on
0: <laughs> that's it that's it
1: yeah so I I'm just I'm very lucky that my ideas and all of that can blossom into something um whole because of the other people involved you know we always see the the performers as this one person but we have to remember that there's another at least 10 15 20 people working behind them that are helping with the process and those people matter as much if not more in my opinion so yeah
0: the team gotta have the team takes teamwork to make the dream work i don't know if you've heard that before that's another one i got Um, a
1: tattoo on my forehead
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, how many of these people do you get to work with in person and how many are virtual
1: So I've met them all. So we've um, we've done some collaborations in person and some on uh, Zoom call and, you know, the the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just depends on the situation. For example, Savage Daughter, we recorded um, very randomly because I was there to to do a cover of um, Invincible from World of Warcraft because we nerded out over this passion for World of Warcraft because I played for eight years. And so we we did that cover and I was humming the song for like three days. And he's like, you need to stop it. We need to cut it out. Are you going to record it? Are you going to stop? So Mm -hmm. we ended up recording it. And so we didn't really think that it was going to have so much impact as it did. And, you know, we like any, none of my songs have had any kind of promotion or anything. So it's all just been organic kind of growth. And um, so we didn't expect such a big growth of Savage Daughter just after two months, but it happened. So. Yeah. So there's that. Amazing.
0: Super cool. Okay. Outside of music, do you have hobbies? How do you unwind? How do, what's your preferred method of taking time off from the grind?
1: So I guess my, my most constant hobby is definitely fitness because I, I did gymnastics for eight years, um, semi-professionally. So I was kind of on the road to um, to be kind of put on the Olympic hold kind of program in Canada. And then I had to kind of decide, right? I had to choose, it. either it's gonna be music or or gymnastics. So um, sport has always been very important to me. Um, definitely in the last couple of years, I've kind of been slacking off, but that's my, I guess, biggest hobby, um, just because I, I love sport and working out and running and yoga, yoga and, uh high intensity interval training which is like my my favorite thing in the world um so yeah i i I love all that kind of stuff um i've been really into cross stitching lately so i cross stitch every night to unwind i do it for about an hour or two or three or
0: four um
1: (laughs) until like 2 a.m my mom will be screaming from upstairs kasha go to bed i'm like i'm almost done this thread um so i i like to read i i don't read as much as i used to but i i try to read that's also a a hobby of mine i'm um, just trying to sound intelligent you know very smart yes, i read, I read
0: six hours a day
1: yes, um, I just
0: read the encyclopedia for fun it's it's whatever
1: <laughs> yeah just like nonfiction biographies of uh <laughs> scientists and uh
0: <laughs>
1: not harry potter or anything like that
0: no, nothing silly. <laughs> no
1: hate. No hate. hate
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. I love asking this question. Um, it's a day in the life question, but a day in the life usually doesn't make much sense for people like you, people like me, a lot of people I talk to who it changes so much depending on yeah. the projects you're working on. It's not like nine to five. You're just doing one thing every day. So what is more of like a week in the life? look like for you right now
1: so right now it's quite relaxing in the sense that i'm not traveling in this month so i'm just kind of taking time um so in a week i I try to work out at least four or five times because i try to think of that as part of my career you know taking care of your body taking care of your emotional state which comes from taking care of your body as well it's so important for us artists especially you know um so that's kind of part of the job you know
0: absolutely Um,
1: practice at least one or two hours a day um you know i try to kind of put in some time for creative process so i'll listen to some music and see if if anything comes up of my own and things like that um yeah so it really depends when i'm back in milan um i do have lots of errands to run there all the time so i'm always moving around and um yeah so i i it really depends but at this at this point in time i'm uh very kind of loose and i'm able to spend my time with family and with my dog and it's it's been great so it's awesome. hard to think of like a day a week a week in the life i don't I know. know even
0: a, even a week is tough because it's just yeah because you never anywhere. know
1: like if you're traveling then your whole week is just airports 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 sing mm. sleep airports airports um,
0: exhausting. Which,
1: yeah, which is exhausting, but I, I love flying personally. I, I, I really enjoyed the travel time. So, um, for me, it's, it's, everything is fun from the beginning till the end. Um, but, uh, and right now it's just, uh, sleep, run, <laughs> walk the dog, uh, sing and, um, just get as much done as possible. So
0: awesome. do you have anywhere else in the world you want to live? Are you are you totally or you think forever, forever in Canada?
1: Well, at the moment, I, I'm kind of between Canada and Milan. So I, I've been living in Milan for eight years now. I just spend a little bit more time in Canada, hmm. um, but I, I love Milan so much. I don't think I would ever move away from there. It's my favorite city. I've been to many and I always gravitate back towards Milan. Um, hmm. Thinking, thinking. <laughs> Um maybe, maybe when I'm a little bit older, I would love to move somewhere in the countryside or somewhere near the sea. Um, I really liked um uh, the eric levy. he He lives in a in a beautiful city called Collieu, Collieu, I think I said it right, in France, and it's right by the seaside, and it's the most gorgeous little city, and I fell in love with it. So maybe when I'm older, I'll I'll uh, enjoy that peace and quiet, but for now I need the chaos. So yes. it's <laughs> I'm in a big
0: city. Yeah. yeah, it's time for chaos. Um, I've actually spent a a decent amount of time in Italy, probably like three three or four months total. Um, I did oh, a study. Sure. I did a did a study abroad in Florence uh, in 2016, and we you know went all over then. Um, and then I did an, an opera program in Lucca uh, a couple years mm. after that. So I was in Luca for like five weeks, I think. Um, I was just back for a, <clears throat> a wedding in Italy in uh, Brindisi, way in the south, okay. which is lovely, just like sure. absolutely stunning. It's like definitely want to go back there. Yeah. And then I and I went to Italy when I was like ten as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really have big dreams. Hopefully, not that far from now of having a villa in northern Sardinia.
1: Oh yeah sea.
0: That is like definitely. my number one. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a that's a great place to kind
0: of it's yeah. just it's perfection. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So in this well actually I think we've probably answered but so I have patrons submit questions, people who support me through Patreon, people of the higher tiers submit questions for these we might have answered all of them already but let me Ooh. just uh
1: I do I just remembered that I have a driver's license a driver's test at 1 30 but it's okay it's okay yes it's
0: okay. so how much how much time do we have and I'll I'll taper it down
1: I think we have
0: we have
1: seven five minutes, minutes.
0: <laughs> okay I
1: forgot he just texted me and I I, I just realized I'm then so I'll sorry just,
0: it's okay because I think we've answered most of these anyway which is cool Okay, this we, we've kind of talked about, but it'd be cool to get a, a more uh, a more structured answer, I guess. Um, and part of this we haven't talked about. Okay, a number of classical singers seem to have used the COVID opportunity to develop other skills and uh, kind of go into other genres. How do you see that impacting the traditional opera world short and long term? So I guess how do you see COVID, COVID's effect on the opera world both now and in the future?
1: Interesting question. Um, well, I think that COVID really brought out a lot of, I guess, like for me personally, it brought out really who I am. So maybe it would bring out a lot more personality and a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, uniqueness from everybody into the opera world. I feel like people are much more open to experimenting now and um, kind of doing their own thing. I, I'm not sure if it would really make that much of an impact to be quite honest with you, but I do believe that um, COVID, because we were all kind of cooped up in our own little places, we got to really figure out who we are and what we want and, and all of that. So maybe it, it might um, help move opera into the direction of you know, people um, kind of doing more of their own thing and and uh, incorporating their own style into into places where a lot of the time you just have to do it their way <laughs> on the highway. No, no shade, no shade. But, but <laughs>
0: if you but don't do it, longer. if you don't do it how the golden age singers did it, you're trash. Yeah, you're trash. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Any final words for the audience, for the young singers, for your fans? Feel free
1: my final words
0: where to find you anything about the tour whatever you want really
1: all right so yeah so um you can find me on pretty much any social media platform TikTok, instagram youtube facebook i try to post as constantly as i can and there's always new content coming out so right now i'm i'm focusing on a release every month so stay tuned because there's going to be a release on the 28th of july which is going to be a beautiful russian song um very similar to Beyond the Quiet River, if um, any of you have heard that one, so it's going to be um, collaborated with Panos Toparidis, so it's going to be a blast, it's going to be beautiful, and my tour with ERA is coming up in February, so if you're in the area of France, slash Switzerland, slash Belgium, make sure to w- visit my website at www.shalahova.com, where you can find all the information, all the tickets, everything that you need to know, and... Yeah, and if there's anyone in Mexico, very, very close to Cuernavaca, I'm having my own solo concert there the 12th of August. And I'm doing a completely operatic uh, repertoire. I like to state that because sometimes there might be confusion. So this one is Mm going to be fully operatic, fully lyrical. And uh, yeah, so, alguien que habla español se está escuchando, por favor, ven a escucharme en Cuernavaca
0: wonderful well thank you so much for joining me i know i know know everyone is going to enjoy this and get a lot of value out of this conversation which is the whole goal providing as much value and enjoyment as we can so thank you so much for joining um we'll be in touch about release dates and all the fun logistics and stuff but good luck on your driver's test is what you just said
1: yeah so i'm i'm doing my (laughs) driver's uh it's like the um, the course
0: yeah.
1: Um, because I started it when I was 17 and fast forward 10 years, I still haven't done it. And I realize now that if I don't do it now, I might never do it. So, yeah, I've been taking some courses and um, I have not killed my instructor so far. So, so far, so good. I'm very proud of myself. And I might—I uh, I plan to do my test the first the of August, so I'll let you know how that goes. I might announce it on my Instagram. Yeah. I'm so proud.
0: Let me just say, being able to drive and having a car increases life enjoyment for sure. Yeah. So awesome! Yeah. Glad you're doing that. Good luck on the test, and we'll—we'll we'll be in touch very soon with—with with all awesome. details and everything. And otherwise, so thanks again so much. Thank you. Thank great you. Ch- great chatting with you. Great
1: with great chatting with you too. Thank you Bye. so much. Yeah.